Father, this morning we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you, we just thank you, thank you, Lord. Eleven months of your hand upon our lives. You brought us through. You brought us through well. We just want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. I pray the hand of God will rest upon your people and meet them at their point of need. Some need a job, some need provision, some need healing, some need deliverance. Everything that we need is already answered in Christ Jesus. I pray your spirit would lead them where it is deposited. They will draw it out by faith and walk in the fullness of Christ. And they will turn their faces towards heaven and give you no rest in this battle for souls, Lord. Day and night, they will cry out for vengeance against the powers of darkness who holds our dear ones captive, Lord. They will understand what is the real battle we are engaged in, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We bless the children who are going for Sunday school. And I bless the ones who are here listening to the word. Give us open ears, believing heart, understanding in our mind, and a will to obey. Thank you, Father. We believe, therefore we speak. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Yes, children, you're released for Sunday school. I know some of the little ones want to stay for the sermon, but give it December also. Okay. There is a seat here empty, a couple of seats in the front empty. If you want to come closer, as Elijah said, come near me. You can come. I won't make you dig around the altar. I will do the digging myself. Okay. All I ask you is come near. We'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not. Get that engraved in the hearts, in your hearts and the palms of your hand. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It may look so, but we do not. Like I tell my people in the U.S., we are not fighting the Democrats. We are fighting for them. Okay, we are not fighting them. We are fighting for them. So we are not fighting flesh and blood. We are fighting for them. But there is a real battle. We are, but we do, and we have to put it that order. We do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age. They rule the darkness in our minds. The physical darkness is nothing. Can we always, you need a, you have electricity, a generator, inverter, it can be taken care of. Spiritual darkness is the most dangerous thing. And that, these are the rulers of spiritual darkness. Rulers of darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Not earthly, heavenly places. And the Bible says those who really understand who are saved, empowered for this battle, they know they are seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Above the powers of darkness. So we actually equip for battle because in every physical battle, the higher the terrain, the better advantage you have. 
So God is not telling you fight from here up. He says you fight from up down. No way you are seated. No way you are positioned. Because this is a battle. Otherwise we will give up. And I see people all around giving up so fast. Because whether you like it or not, you can escape physical battles. You cannot escape spiritual battles. It's no way anybody can escape. You are in it. The problem is, in this spiritual battle, if you are not aware of it, you will not know you are defeated until you die. Then you will realize, I was defeated. And I've ended up in the wrong place. So don't end up in the wrong place. So, the Old Testament puts this across, this battle across in physical terms. So the first battle you see is when the man called out by God is moved into the promised land, you see him fight his first battle. Abraham in Genesis 14. You don't have to go there. We are not looking at that. First battle. But what is he fighting for? Why is he fighting all these four kings who have come with their combined armies? What is he fighting for? He's fighting for the soul of his nephew. Because they have taken him captive. Soul of his nephew. After that you will see battles different ways. The enemy sees the hand of God upon Isaac's life. Because this man prospers and prospers and exceeding prosperous. Immediately they start coming and closing up his wells. But he's a man of peace. He doesn't fight. But God fights for him. Ultimately, his enemies realizes his God is too powerful. So they come and make peace with him. Okay. You will see Jacob and his battles. And ultimately, you move into the book of Exodus. You see Israel and his battles. They don't have to fight a single battle to get out of Egypt. You and I don't have to fight one single battle to get saved. That was done by Christ. But after that, to inherit your promises, we have to fight every battle that comes our way. So after that is the battle from Rephidim all the way till Joshua conquers the whole land. It is battle after battle after battle after battle. The new covenant, that's the flip side. You don't see battles. You see spiritual battles. It's entirely spiritual battles. And the proclamation of the kingdom of God begins with a battle because he says the kingdom of God advances with violence and violent men take it by force. And he points to John the Baptist, the most non-violent man you can see. Next is Jesus. And after that, the apostles. Then the whole church is involved in a spiritual battle. Casting out demons, binding powers of darkness, Taking soul after soul, sometimes in individual cases, sometimes like the Ethiopian eunuch, sometimes families, sometimes a whole crowd. But the battle is being won. And Jesus puts a cross and says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Against the church. On Saturday for another audience, I preached a message, the fundamentals of the battle that we are in. Maybe I'll preach it here too, another Sunday, maybe next Sunday, I do not know. But today we are looking at another. Because you need to realize there are two battles we fight. One is defensive. The other is offensive. If you know the game of chess, chess, okay, game of chess, nobody who plays a defensive battle will ever win. Will ever win. You have to fight an offensive battle. 
then only you will win. In the kingdom of God, if you're playing defense, you will not get any territory. You have to play offense. Okay, if you know football, you look at some teams, some teams like Germany and all, their defense is fantastic. Maradona died last week. He was an icon, right? You guys were not even born when I saw him shooting those goals live against England in that World Cup. The hand of God goal, I saw it all. Argentina has a very weak defense always, but they have spectacular geniuses who are good at offense. Argentina always reach the top whenever they reach because of offense you play. Because of one or two geniuses. It could be a Maradona, it could be a Messi, but their offense was fantastic. And it would only be one or two or people, not more than that. But because they were so good in offensive, they even took the World Cup. Okay? That's God's way. Israel is locked down. But there is one man called Elijah who is on the offense. And he brings the entire nation on their knees, binds up the powers of darkness, and turns the people back to God because he's on the offense. On the offense. And that's what God is talking about. Today we look at another portion. Second Kings chapter 6 verse 8 to 17. 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 8 to 17. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servant saying, my camp will be in such a such a place. Remember, at this time, uh, Ahab is dead. Ahab's son is ruling. He's not like, oh, he's a wicked king. Not as wicked as his father, but he's wicked. And Jehoshaphat is in Judah. That is the context. Elijah is gone, taken up in to heaven. And there is Elisha, the prophet. He consulted with his servant saying, my camp will be in such a such a place. The man of God, that is Elisha, sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So every time the king of Israel had advance warning where the enemy is. You're learning from the Old Testament what the Holy Spirit does in the New Testament if our ears are tuned to him. You don't have to run into danger if you listen to the voice of God. He forewarns his people. Okay? Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. He called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? Is there a spy in the camp? Who is letting out all these secrets I am making? One of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. No hacking, no drone spying, nothing. There is a prophet. <laughs> so he said, go and see where he is that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses, chariots, a great army there. They came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early, went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. We need to pray like Elisha prayed for his servant. Lord, open my eyes that I might see. 
I should see what my devil is planning and I should see what I got with me. Open my eyes. Truly, truly, we need to pray. Open my eyes. Elijah and Elisha were two different people, absolutely chalk and cheese. One is an introvert. He likes being alone. The other guy is always seen in the company of prophets. One is an introvert. The other is an extrovert. What is common about them? Their heart was stayed on God. They heard clearly. They saw clearly. In these last days, we too are facing the same battle. It's only it is spiritual. Actually, the forewarned by John the Apostle, the Holy Spirit through John the Apostle, forewarns us how it will be in the last of last days in Revelation 12 and verse 12. It says, For the, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and those who dwell in them. Are you seated in the high places with Christ Jesus? If you are seated with Christ, if you know your spiritual position, rejoice, because you know the devil can't do anything to you. You have victory over him. But if you are dwelling on earth, if your mind is on earth, and your mind is on things that are below or not on things that are above, he says, woe to you, the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has short time. We may not know, but the devil knows. The devil has memorized the book of Revelation. He can read the times and what is happening better than any one of us. So he knows his days are numbered. So please be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. Because what happened over there is, except for one man, everybody was blind. So the question should be, see, the army of Aram came and surrounded the city. Where were the watchmen? Everybody just sleep. An entire massive army has surrounded. Nobody has any clue. Even the prophet's servant has no clue. Only wakes up in the morning. He says, ah, where did all these people come from? Alas, we are gone. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul says this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. It must have been Gehazi. Gehazi is perplexed. He is in despair. Elisha is not. Yes, the army is around. It is difficult times. Not the best of times, the worst of times. One man brought victory that day. One man. There's a great host against them. Just one man. Like Elijah, Elisha. One man brought defeat to the enemy's camp and victory to the people of God. The problem is the king of Aram is foolish. He should have known if God can warn the prophet of what is being said in his bedroom, he can also warn of those who are being sent to capture him. You need to understand, God sometimes blinds the enemy. He thinks he's smart. He's not smart. Sometimes God allows the enemy and the people who listen to him do stupid things so they can be captured. Okay. 
In army battles, one of the most important part of army winning battles is what you call surveillance. They are always spies. Okay, this time it's this. Now it is all gadgets. Earlier it were men. This was a spies to send out to look out how the enemy was. But heaven's surveillance is unmatchable compared to what man can do. Man's everything can go wrong. That's why we are called to keep close communication with the Holy Spirit. And keep a distance from the world. Because if you get too close to the world, it is like mist in your glasses. You know, that's one thing this thing does. When you are driving and you got your mask on, your breath puts that mist on your glasses and you cannot see. So you are forced to pull it down. When you get too close to the world, your spiritual eyes get clogged, misted. Your spiritual ears get clogged. You're not able to hear properly. You're not able to see properly. So God says, you're not of this world. Go into the world, but you're not of the world. If you become part of the world, the enemy could be knocking at your very door and you wouldn't know. So let me give you another example. We'll come back to this. The king of Moab, after Ahab died, rebels against Jehoram. So the king of Judah, the king of Israel, and Edom, they all come together against Moab. It's a seven-day march. And there's no water. So Jehoshaphat, he's a spiritual one, which two unspiritual one. I don't know why he always picks this wrong company. And then you end up in a place where there is no water. You are thirsty. So be very careful about your company. And this is what happens in Second Kings chapter 3, verses 11. Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of God, Lord here, that we may inquire of the Lord by himself? See how they thought. He says, that's a spiritual man. He says, is there any prophet here? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. You need to know who has the word of the Lord. Because they will give you an answer for your situation. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Because these prophets won't come up to you. You have to go down to them. Okay. So learn to humble yourself. Don't send to listen. Come visit me. No. These guys won't go. These guys won't go. Okay. Verse 13 and 14. Yeah. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have to do with you? Humble yourself. They will speak rough words. Because they know you have not been going to church for a long time. You have not read your word. You have no prayer life at all. So they look straight in your face and say, what do I got to do with you? It's trouble that makes you seek God. Or are you a seeker of God? What do I got to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. Ahab and Jezebel. So many prophets. Now why are you coming to me? You went to all these people, experts in the world. Everything you have an expert today, including your eyelids. Eyelids, eyebrow, eyelashes. Everything has been designated and given in separate territory. Whole body has been divided. Where did you go to your experts? But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. 
Elisha said, as the Lord of the host lives before whom I stand. Look at the transition from Elijah to Elisha. Now Elisha is standing before God. Earlier, Elijah said the same thing to his father. Surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. If this man wasn't there, I wouldn't give you the time of the day. I will answer you because I see one spiritual in your group. In your group of friends, no, you have these friends, no? One fellow prays. Therefore, you are getting an answer. He goes to church at least once in a while. That's why you are getting an answer. Now, bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. My question to you is, the worship team, those who sing, does your worship aid the prophetic? Does your worship aid the prophetic? Are you a worship team? Can God make the worship team into a worship team? Can he make you? Elisha is the greatest anointed man of his time. Double portion he has received. But he says, I need some help. Get somebody who can sing. And all those who sing, we had worship, we had offertory. We have a worship team. Most of you sing. The question is that, does your worship aid the prophetic? Does it help the prophet to see better and hear better? Does your own worship, personal worship, aid your revelation? But note this, none of this actually changes the heart of Jehoram. That's a sad part of so many people. He will listen to Elisha's warnings about battles against the kingdom and invasion, but will ignore all Elisha's warnings about his own personal sin. Can you prophesy about my future? Can you tell me who I'll marry? (laughs) Can you tell me will I get a promotion? But if I tell you about your state of your heart, will you listen? That is Jehora. Be very careful of which part of the prophetic word you pick and choose because it will ultimately lead to your destruction. Okay? So everywhere you see in the Old Testament, if there was success for Israel, there was a prophetic voice. If there is success in my own life in this new covenant, remember, you hear the Spirit speak. You hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 14, the enemy crosses a line when he goes after God's prophet. Actually, God does these things. He pulls the enemy by his nose. Hook. Blinds him to go after certain people who he should never go after to destroy him. Because he says in Proverbs 105 and verse 15, Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. The devil doesn't listen to these warnings. Or probably he knows. But he doesn't love man at all. Whether you are a believer or unbeliever, he hates everybody. 
So he's a willing tool. He drags unbelievers to go fight believers for their own destruction. Ultimately. In Exodus 14.3, this is what God told through Moses. Oh, 14.13, not 3.13. 14.13. Can I have it? Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which will accomplish for you. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. You'll never see. Because God has dragged the Pharaoh and his army to go after Israel just to destroy them. You don't get afraid. Because one of the fundamental things about battle is don't be afraid. If you are afraid, you're already lost half the battle. In Second Chronicles 20.15, another prophet tells Jehoshaphat in another battle. This is what he says. Yes, 20.15. He said, listen all you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem, you king Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, it's God's. Okay. You need to have that assurance. You need to hear. You need to know because what we are fighting, if you look with your physical eyes, we have no power to fight this battle. Everything is against the church, the believing church. 80% of the non-believing church is against the believing church. The rest of the whole world is against the believing church. And ultimately they will say, this church, the believing church, the remnant everywhere in the world is the enemy of the state. Okay. God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Deal with fear. Don't be afraid. The only way you can deal with fear is by loving God with all your heart and trusting in God's love. That is perfect love. God loves me perfectly. And scripture says, perfect love casts away all fear. Okay. Elisha and his servant. It is something like Elijah and his servant. Elijah also had a servant who left halfway. What they see are completely different. That is the sad part. You can be part of the most anointed man for years and not see what he sees. And not hear what you hear. He hears. That's the next two verses. Right? Second Kings 6, 14 and 15. Therefore he sent horses. So what happens? Alas, my master, what shall we do? Remember Elijah's servant on Mount Carmel? What do you see? Nothing. What do you see? Nothing. What do you see? Nothing. Why? Because you haven't heard. The prophet has heard. The prophet's servant has heard nothing. At least in Elisha's case, when he's being chosen, all the sons of the prophets heard. But they were not willing to leave their comfort zone. At least they all heard. In this case, Elijah's servant never heard. Here, another fellow. Okay. And the people of Dothan, by the way, are all asleep. Even their watchmen are asleep. And the prophet's servant is also asleep. No one has no clue of the approaching army that the city is surrounded. A lot of people are like that in the church. The devil can steal things right under your nose and you will not even realize it. 
he comes to steal he's a thief and he's a murderer jesus made it very clear in john 8:44 if i'm right he is a thief and he's a murderer the devil comes to steal to kill to destroy but the problem is if you are asleep if you are asleep i do that always in the church office they wouldn't ever know that i have walked in they wouldn't know they wouldn't that happens when you live in the mountains where everything is silent you learn to talk softly you don't need to shout because everything is quiet the only sound you hear is the river flowing nothing else no traffic no sounds no inglaps in davat nothing absolutely nothing nothing the atmosphere outside is so cold that even the bird's throat is frozen <laughs> so cold so you learn what quietness is quietness is and you learn to talk quietly you learn to tiptoe you learn because you don't want even the foot your own footfalls disturb you okay that's a, but here it's a different thing they're so completely asleep the church spiritually asleep sometimes they have no clue how close to danger we are and you need to realize the enemy came by night and jesus said when men were asleep an enemy sowed the tares he sowed the tares when you are asleep spiritually asleep the enemy is busy very busy sowing tares verse 15 there are those who wake up early who is that elisha so who wake up early but they don't see anything it's good to have a discipline where you wake up early it's a very good discipline but the question is you wake up early did you hear anything did god tell you anything you sat with your bible maybe yes but did you hear anything did you see anything it's a good discipline but if the discipline doesn't lead to revelation it only bring fear because then what you see is what you see with your eyes you woke up early and all you see is chariots and armies surrounding you all you do is wake up in the early morning is you only see the problems surrounding you and you have no solution because you haven't heard that's why scripture says in psalm 127 and verse 2 verse 1 says unless the lord builds you labor in vain verse 2 says it is vain for you to rise up early to sit up late all you eat is the bread of sorrows that is elisha's servant i lost are you gone because if they will take him they will take me too that is the first me too he's gone i am gone then you have elisha absolutely at rest verse 16 he answered do not fear for those who are with us are more and those who are again do you feel that way do you feel that way romans 8:31 what then shall we say to these things if god is for us who can be against us this is not from your head this is from your heart who can be against us i have all these against me but god is for me and i know god is for me actually the title 
I put for today is God is for you, but are you for God? God has made it very clear. I am for my people. But the problem is with the people. Are the people for God? Luke 22, 31. Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. He's going to sift you as wheat. He's going to put you through the ringer. What did the next verse say? Do not fear, for I have prayed for you. I don't care what the devil does to me because I know the Lord has prayed for me. That should be an attitude. You bring your best you have, but I know who is with me, who has prayed for me, who is standing even today in the presence of the Father forever making intercession for the saints. If he prayed for Peter, do you think he doesn't pray for us? For the Lord has said so. That's where faith comes from. Lord has said. That's how Peter should have known. Okay, I will fall, but I'll get up. Why? Because he said he's prayed for me. The Lord has spoken, then I don't have to worry. Mark 4 and verse 35. Remember, last anniversary, we had looked at that last June. For our anniversary, we looked at going to the other side. Water gets in. Jesus is asleep. They panic. They accuse him. Don't you care for us? And he asked them, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? But what was the issue? The issue was they forgot the most important part of what he said. The same day in the evening, he had come, evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. That's it. If he said, let us cross over to the other side, how can you drown on the way? Did you listen to carefully what he has told you in your life? If he said, let us go to the other side, you will go to the other side. No storm can stop you. No water will sink your boat because he said, let us go to the other side. It does not matter as if, if it looks God is silent in your life, that he's asleep in the boat. It does not matter because he has said, let us go to the other side. That's our problem. We hear, but we don't believe. Or we hear, we don't pay attention. Like I said, today's whole message, maybe two hours. Listen to what the Holy Spirit says and write it down and you can take it to your bank with it. God has said, I can stand on it. In John chapter 6 verse 10, what did Jesus say? Make them? Make them? If he said make them, sit down. Five loaves are enough. If he's told me, sit down, then it doesn't matter how much I have in the bank. It doesn't matter what my salary is. He said, sit down. We'll have enough to eat. Lord, I have only this much in my wallet. Lord, I may lose my job. Everybody's losing. But did he tell you to sit down? Did you tell him to sit down? Do you hear him? Tell him, sit down. Meaning, be at calm. Sit down. When he says, sit down, he's already prepared the banquet for you. The meal is ready. Because the Bible says everyone ate and was satisfied and there was so much left over. Did you hear it? In Mark chapter, sorry, Matthew chapter 14 verses 28 and 29. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. That's all. Come, one word. He said, come, Lord. Everything is looking shaky, Lord. The whole universe, world has gone shaky. 
pandemic, recession, India is officially entering into recession, jobs are being lost left, right and center, another administration is trying to take over US and destroy the rest of the world too. But God said, did I tell you? You can come. Not only is water, it is stormy water. Come. Can walk. You won't sing. The waters won't overpower you. Did you hear? Our ears, spiritual ears and eyes have to be open to see and to hear the truth of what God has spoken. That is what the hymn writer says, the solid rock on which I stand. Verse 17. Elisha prayed, Lord I pray, open his eyes. That should be our prayer. Proverbs 15 and verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on evil and the good. Lord, open my eyes that I see. Not only does the God of Israel neither sleep nor slumber, he's absolutely watchful. Where is good? Where is evil? Therefore, I can be at rest. Open my eyes to who you really are and what you do. Open my eyes, O God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5, Paul says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, and each one's praise will come from God. He will reveal it to your heart. Don't worry about all these powers of darkness that are arranged against us. Listen to what God speaks to your spirit. Listen. And Ephesians 1.17, for years we prayed that prayer, Lord, open the eyes of, may the Lord give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom alone is not enough. We need revelation. See, to change is not easy. From sight to faith is not easy. But you have to. You have to. It's not easy. You have to consciously put in that effort to switch gears from sight to faith. You know how I struggle? 30 years later, I changed my Bible. I'm not somebody who memorized the word. I am somebody who memorized my Bible. There's a difference. You give me my old Bible, you tell me anything, I'll open it, I'll find it. But with this, I struggle. Because this is an unfamiliar, not textbook in the printed form. This is not a Bible that I used all these years. So if I'm learning, reorienting, it's not that you are used to one particular Bible and you give that Bible into my hands, you ask me a portion, I'll open it up like this. But now I got something else and you tell me a portion. Where is so I usually in the church I ask my ready reckoner. Even in that three days meetings, I ask Pastor Vijay, he will see he memorized the word. I memorized my Bible. There are two different things. Okay, so I am changing. You can teach, you cannot like the world says, you can teach. Old dogs, new tricks too. <laughs> so we need to open, God to open our eyes so that we see ourselves as God sees us. And we see the world as God sees us. 
Only God can show that to us. Spiritual sight is not about seeing angels alone. Those who are with us, more than those who are against us. Alicia sees the angelic host. She's not afraid. But we also need to see the wiles of the devil. The entire program agenda of the devil is through deception. It is his tool. And unless God opens the our eyes, we will not see his deception. Meaning, the note he prints, even RBI will get fooled. <laughs> it will go through the RBI scanner also. Only way you will get to know some of his tricks, how fake it is if God shows it to you. So we just don't want to see into the spiritual what God is doing for us. We also need to know what the devil is doing against us. So the question is, what is the difference between Elisha and his servant? Simple answer, vision. In verse 15, every word, everything that he saw was true. Everything that he saw was true. The entire city the plains was surrounded by a hostile force. Soldiers, horsemen and chariots. It's absolutely true. The difference between them two is another had spiritual vision. I don't think even he came out. Elisha usually never comes out. Have you noticed in many cases he doesn't come out. Naman comes and makes his hue and cry. He says, tell him to go dip. Doesn't come out. Okay. This last more with us than against us. Remember the famine in Samaria comes and says, oh, this thing, tomorrow this will be over. This guy doesn't even come out. He's like, I don't even want to see. Because I have seen. I have seen. Elisha is a different. He was an incredibly smart student. He followed Elisha. He followed Elisha. He followed Elisha. Followed Elisha. And he pinpointed to that one thing Elisha had. He said, I want your spirit. He didn't say, I want your brains. We will say, I want your brains. <laughs> I want your looks. I want your money. All these old kings, remember? Up to half my kingdom, you would have jumped for it. Not Elisha. Elisha said, I want a double portion of that. So he sees better than Elijah. And Elisha, Elijah understands. And he's also got a He says, you asked a difficult thing. That's not mine to give. Spirit comes from somebody else. But I will tell you one thing, secret. If you see me being taken, that means you got it. So he begins his journey where Elijah ends. Sees by seeing. Okay. So we need it. And the fact of the matter is, we don't realize we have it. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit who even searches the heart of God and reveals it to man lives within us. So you know what? Everyone who is scripturally and genuinely born again has got it with you. 
clouded by the flesh. The world, the carnality, clouds our eyes. You got it. This is the fulfillment of Jesus' commission in Matthew 28, verse 20. He tells his disciples, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. If you are a child of God, God is with you always. If you don't experience him, it's your problem, not his. He's with you always. He never lies. God is not a man that you should lie. He's not a man that you, He's with you always. He never leaves you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why do you doubt him? That's why I make the joke, New Covenant, we don't pray looking up, we pray looking down. Because <laughs> he's there. He's there. Focus on him. Lord, teach me. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Hebrews 1 and verse 14. Are they all, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who inherit salvation? Meaning, you are all saved. If you all are saved, I don't know. You are all saved. Do you know you have angels walking with you always, sent by the Father? I lived in a monarchy. So one day, I didn't see the king's son coming. I saw the bodyguards coming first. They're always around him. And when he enters into a classroom, they stand outside. First they will look in. And then they stand outside. Always around. God says, do you know you are royalty? You are my sons and daughters. Do you think you do not have protection? This is the simplest child sitting here. Do you know you have more cover than Prime Minister Modi? He has only physical cover. He has no spiritual cover. Says, do you know? Matthew 18.10 Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven the angels always see the face of my father. Do you know actually your children, your little babies you are holding in your arms, the angels have free access to God? While our angels may have to wait, theirs don't. You worry about your children. He says, do you know their angels have 24-7 access to God? He says, do you know? When you have given up, God hasn't given up. First Kings 19, 4 and 5. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down on a bro- under a broom, and he prayed he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life. I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Elijah gave up. God didn't. And you might have given up many times and said, Lord, I'm given up, I'm tired, and you go to sleep, maybe pop a pill, and you fall asleep. But when you wake up, you are okay, because you do not realize God sent an angel to touch you. So you wake up and you say, life is good. Life is good. Ready for the journey again. But that's not the way you went to sleep last night. And that's not the way you wake up. woke up this morning. Angels are still at work. At the beck and call of the king. Matthew 4.11, Jesus faces the most intrinsic attack from the devil, the beginning of his ministry. The devil left him, and angels came and ministered to him. Then his second greatest battle, or his greatest, that's a Gethsemane. 
Luke 24:23. Did you not? Oh. Oh, okay, it was not that. That's uh, the Garden of Gethsemane where, uh, where the angels come and, uh, and minister to him after he's practically was sweating blood. We see Peter being rescued from an, from the prison by an angel. We see Paul in Acts 27, 23, in the midst of nowhere. The ship has been floating for weeks and days. There's no food. Everybody is given up. And God sends an angel. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong for myself. We limit God because of our unbelief and what I call the secularization of Christianity. Christianity has become very scientific now. The spiritual has been taken out. And we need to pray, Lord, open my eyes so that I do not limit the hand of the Holy One of Israel. The very spirit that dwells in me, I don't limit his hand in my life. Because if you can see and hear, you can abide in rest. If you can hear and see, you can abide in rest. That's how Elisha is. He's not denying the armies that are around him. But he says, I have rest because I know who is with me. So we need to see, we need to hear. Verse 18. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people, I pray with blindness. You need to understand our God. The very God who opens the eyes of the blind can close the eyes of the sea. It happened to me once. I've shared those testimonies when I was getting into a very difficult place, country, area where I was not supposed to go. And all the border guards were sitting over there and I was sitting right in the front. And this is exactly what God told me. This, I can make seeing eyes blind. And actually I had read Brother Andrew's book just the night before and there he had to do that in Soviet Russia, that area, taking the Bible. I said the same thing, opened my mouth and said, you shall not see me in Jesus. They didn't see me. They waved me through. They should have checked my papers, should have seen I don't have the paperwork. They would have stopped me and sent me back. They didn't see me. God has never changed. We change God, but God never changes. So Elisha prayed a simple prayer. Says, blind them. Lord, blind them. And he struck them with blindness. And we should say, Lord, all these enemies who come in the night to capture us, to capture our children, to capture our blessings, to capture our destiny, blind them. They are at work. The enemy and his servants are always at work at night. They don't work during day. They work during night. 12 to 3 is their time. And one of the sessions we had last week for that prayer sessions for other countries, I was telling them, the man of God rises up early in the morning. He does not rise up at 3 in the morning. No, I mean, he doesn't sit from 12 to 3 unless the Lord tells him. He wakes up after 3 because when the devil has finished his work, he gets up and he cancels all his decrees with his word. The devil is busy sitting up through the night working. The man of God wakes up early in the morning, cancels all his work and goes through the day in victory. So he said, Lord, blind. 
Because they are forever plotting our destruction. The devil and his cohorts on earth are forever plotting man's destruction. And then verse 19. Now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me. I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. Let God lead your enemies into a trap. He can do that. You need to know how you pray. Lord, lead all my enemies to the wrong place into the trap. Verse 20 says, Lord, open their eyes. So it was when they had come to summary, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. The Lord opened their eyes and they saw that they were inside Samaria. Now, they have not surrounded who they are seeking. They have been surrounded. That is how we pray, Lord, confuse the enemy. Let there be confusion. You need to learn how to pray because we are fighting. That's why he says, I give you power to bind and to loosen. You see, that's what Elisha is saying. I bind your vision. Come, I will take you. Now I loosen your vision. Ayo, where are we? You see, nothing has changed. There's an old covenant person who has learned the new covenant principle of warfare. In verse 21. When the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? When it comes to killing and all, he is your my father. When it comes to obeying, he won't listen. This is Jehoram. Okay? Okay. If you talk about prosperity, blessing, pastor, I love you so much. Repent. Why does he have to? Don't tell me those things that hurt my feelings. (laughs) That is Jehoram. My father, shall we kill them? What does he say? No. But you, you shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword and your bow? He says, put food before them. Like I said, in the spiritual realm, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. We are fighting for them. God says, don't curse your enemy. Bless them. If they are hungry, feed them. Hungry. And immediately we like the words after that, by which your heat being red, hot coals on their head. <laughs> that is what I am focusing on. That's not what. You will convict them. I was so bad, he was so good. I was so bad, he was so good to me. A soft answer turns away wrath. Instead we focus on the goals. Please understand we are fighting an invisible battle. Sad past is most of the church is asleep. And what happens? Because of where it is happening, we don't see it. Little by little, the enemy is occupying our minds. We have become secular, scientific Christians. That we trust in the the power of the corona to kill than the power of Christ to keep us alive. We... Believe more in the power of the receding economy to keep us bankrupt than the power of Christ to keep us alive. We don't realize how much science has got into our heads. Our mind is being taken over, constantly bombarded. Bombarded. That's why I say switch off. Switch off the world. Switch on the kingdom of God. Otherwise you will not come through. History never changes. You go through the Bible, the only ones who came through is who learned how to live in this world by switching off the voices of the enemy and switching on the voice of God. 
so that they saw the world through God's prism. Otherwise, you will be gone. Because otherwise, suddenly you will wake up one day and realize you are surrounded. One day you will wake up and you realize my marriage is gone. It's too far gone. My children are too far gone. Because it crept upon you little by little. And you never learned to fight on the way. That's why we are teaching you to fight spiritual battles. Or your job. One day you realize, you wake up and realize, I am stuck. There's no more promotion for me. This is it. Everybody has gone ahead of me because all the time I had, I never upgraded my skills. Because I didn't listen to God say, do this, do this, do this. Like David, young, all the time in the world, looking after the sheep. Father doesn't regard him at all. Go, let up, um, Get all your sons prepared and be ready. Everybody is all ready. But the father did not even think about David to be ready. But this guy is good with the sling. He's good with his guitar. And that was two things. God used him. Two things. First he used his guitar. Next he used his sling. After that God turned, taught him all the other things. You don't realize. It creeps upon you. Let it not catch you unawares. Because walking by faith it does not come in one day. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Elisha was walking by faith and his servant was walking by sight. Though the outside reality was the same for both, inside reality was completely different. So the question God asks you is, can you see? How do you see? Remember the first litmus test for Jeremiah before you will become the prophet to the nation to pull down and to build. What do you see? He said, this is what I see. You have seen correctly. What do you see? Coconut tree. Sit there, go to Kerala. (laughs) What do you see? Pot full of rice and dal. Go to Andhra. You didn't see. You need to see correctly. Can you hear? Can you see? Romans 8.14 A mature son of God, daughter of God. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This is not talking about children, babies. This is talking about mature people in Christ who have learned to hear the voice of God and are able to be led. So the first question I have to ask you is, can you be led? From the time we are born, God puts leaders in our life. First call parents. Then call teachers. And so many leaders. These people are there in our life only for a season. But we are supposed to learn a very important lesson to listen to their voice and follow. So that one day you can be handed over by Hannah over to the priest and then from the priest to God himself because you have learned to hear and follow. But we have a generation who doesn't listen to anybody. They think they know everything. Yet there is a generation in that generation who is learning to hear and follow. So ultimately you can be, if you cannot be led by the visible, the leaders God has put in your life, how will you one day be 
led by the invisible. It's a question God is asking. Otherwise, a time will come in our life when we are totally useless in God's kingdom. John chapter 21, verse 18. 21, 18. I'm sorry I keep missing a digit. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Okay? In a different context, let me tell you. Old age should be the best age. Or it could be the worst age. We have, I see you all around, a set of old people, whatever age you want to put them into, old people, whose lives are just being wasted because they never learned in their youth to hear the voice of God. So what do they with their old age? They just sit before the TV and wave. What do they think? What to eat? What to drink? And what to watch? That is all they do with their old age. What a waste! What a waste! That is Isaac. He's old. He's lost his vision. The problem is not he's lost his eyesight. He's lost his vision. So all he thinks of wakes up in the morning is, Rebecca, what are you making today? All he thinks is about because he has no TV to watch and his eyes are gone anyway. That's all he thinks. What a man. What a start. Who in their youth has been tied on to the altar and hears the voice of God calling his father, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand upon that boy. What a beginning. What a man. You know what happens? He's lost it. He's lost it. That should not be. Because old age, old age is when you should be the most profitable. If you have continuously learned to hear the voice of God. Genesis 48 verse 10 and then 17. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. This is his son. He's old. He can't see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. He brought his two grandsons there. Ephraim and Manasseh. And worse. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. His father refused. He said, I know. I see better than you. I know what I am doing. His son is the one who is a prophet. His son is the one who had dreams. The son who is one who came through slavery and prison and never lost his eyes of God. This is the one who became the governor of Egypt, a Hebrew in Egypt. But his father sees better than him. That's what God is talking about. We see two, one, a set of young people who have no vision and a set of old people who have no vision. But these two should be the best. They are ready with all the power, the energy, the strength. And these have vision. You lead me, I will follow you. But when both ends go, the middle won't hold. That's a saying. Deuteronomy 34 verse 7. 
Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. It's a spiritual truth. He was 120. He could still see. He could still see. That's what God is talking about. This is what you have to see. The question you have to ask is, maybe you are 25 years old, you are 30 years old, you are 40 years old. You have to ask yourself, at 75, where will I be? If I don't hear today, what am I going to hear at 75? If I don't see today, what am I going to see at 75? Because you are all making plans for your future in the career. You have your five-year plan, 10-year plan, 15-year plan. You have all your plans. Do you have a spiritual plan? To see, to hear? So be very serious about this. Because the enemy sees this. Enemy is very, very careful. Many of you will say, but I don't have any of these struggles. I will tell you why you have no struggles. The next verse, Second Samuel, or first, uh, first, uh, Second Samuel 5.3. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to King to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. So David has become king. Look at the next verse I've given, verse 17. When the Philistines heard they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. You know why the devil doesn't come over you? Because he sees no anointing over you. The minute he sees anointing, he will come after you, because anointing for the devil is like sweet meat to the fly. As soon as the enemy heard David has been anointed, they came over him. Why did they all go after Samson? Because they saw the anointing on him. The fool did not value the anointing. So he died. So don't say, I have no issues. The devil leaves me alone. Because he is attracted by anointing. That's when he comes after you. As soon as David was anointed, the Philistines gathered and they came. What did David do? He went to the you know in White House, underground basement, they have a place called Situation Room. When there is a crisis, that's where the president meets his security council. And they're giving him all the briefs of what is happening, what is and what needs to be done. That is called the Situation Room. God says, do you have a Situation Room? Is your prayer closet your stronghold? Is that your stronghold? When the Philistines come, when everything is going against you, have you established a spiritual stronghold in your life where you know you can go down there and you can hear and you can come out? Do you have a stronghold? Because these are pictures given in the Old Testament about how we practice it in the New Covenant. Because you need to realize history will never change. There's a pattern in which things happen. Acts chapter 1, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, you shall be my witnesses. And Acts chapter 8, 1, great persecution arose. Everybody was scattered except the apostles. Acts chapter 8, 1, all those who were scattered, wherever they went, they went preaching the word of God. Because during the time they were under the apostles, they had learned to hear and to walk personally with God. So it didn't matter where they were scattered, everyone was a missionary. Everybody was ready to start a church. Everybody was ready to start a Bible study. Everybody could walk with God alone. A season given to learn to walk. Not dependency. Dependent upon God and not on man after a season. It will happen to everybody. One day suddenly everything will be shut. It will happen. Sooner or later it is prophesied. It has to happen. What will you do? That's what God is talking about. Here is a man who went immediately into his stronghold. 
into his prayer closet. In verse 19, David inquired. He didn't call his military experts. He didn't call them. He'll call them after he has heard from the Lord. Not before he has heard from the Lord. First he went into his prayer closet and he inquired of the Lord, what should I do? Shall I go up against the Philistines? Not can I overcome? No. Will you deliver them into my hand? Lord, let me give you my statistics. I have this many regiment here, that many regiment, this many horsemen, this many. Is that enough? No. Will you deliver them into my hand? I know the battle is yours. But I want to know in this situation, by you with me to fight this battle or not. Will you? And the Lord said to David, go up for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines in your hand. One of the things when I counsel, I tell pastors is, pick your battles carefully. Don't pick battles for which wake him up, Gopi. Uh, pick, don't pick battles to which you did not hear from God. Because the devil is very smart. He knows, ah, oh, this fellow likes fighting. Let me draw his energy, his strength, his resources into something which God never called him. And he will think, this is my ministry. And by the time you know, Ishmael is growing, Isaac is dying. And you're crying like Abraham, Lord, please bless Ishmael. He says, okay, I will, but he will not inherit. The question is, why do you want something to be blessed which will not inherit eternally? Why do you want to waste your energy on something which has no eternal significance? Why do you want to reach a time in your life like Abraham? He gave gifts to all the sons and sent them away. But he left everything to Isaac. Do you want to send these people away? After he invested so much into it? Why did he even create them in the first place? Personal. Take it personally. How do you apply these principles? Because we have, God is an, I told always, God is an incredible steward of his resources. He never wastes energy. He never wastes his resources. Though he has everything... He doesn't waste. We do. The devil, he knows, okay, this is a, this is a fellow who wants to fight. I cannot give him a frontal fight. He will defeat me. So do want him, distract him, get him into the wrong fights. And David doesn't. David says, should I go or should I not go? If I go, will you deliver or not? God says, go, I will deliver. Go for, I will doubtless deliver. Will you deliver? And verse 20, he wins. David went to Balparazim, David, David defeated them there, and he said, the Lord has broken through. He knows it is God. That's where we get the term Balparazim in the God of breakthrough. The Lord has broken through for me. Broken through for me. Balparazim. He goes, giving glory only to God. You know, this is God who gave me this victory. I fought the battle, but the victory comes from the Lord. Okay. And you need to understand this, verse 21, this is very important, understand that principle. They left their images there and David and his men carried them away. What does that mean? This battle was not just physical, it was spiritual. They brought their gods into this battle. God said, I am with you in this battle. Do you think when the enemy brings his gods into the battle, you can fight the enemy without your God? This is not just a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. Because the enemy brought his gods into this. But God says, don't worry. You have plenty of gods. You just need me. And once they are defeated in their panic, they left their idol. He says, don't leave it. Take them all. So they don't come back there. Take it all. It's a spiritual battle and a physical battle. Every battle you are facing is both physical and spiritual. And if you don't tackle the spiritual, you are not going to win the physical. 
That's why God says in Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions, and they shall by no means harm you. I keep telling you, any modern day warfare, these soldiers will not move forward in offense unless they know they have air superiority. The air force goes ahead. They bomb the daylights of the enemy. Then they go in to take the ground. And God says, if you don't win the battle there, you won't win the battle here. Even if you win, it is a tactical strategy by the enemy to draw you to finish you off. Lord, prosper me. The enemy says, this fellow has no character to handle money. He is so strong in flesh. I will prosper him. Five years later, you see that guy is gone, his wife is gone, his children is gone, everything is gone. He said, Lord, what? Tactical. Enemy is smart. He is smart. More people have been destroyed by prosperity than poverty. Because they did not have the character to handle it. Verse 22. The Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephidim. Now you have experience. You fought last time. You won. God broke through for us. I am going. No. Therefore David inquired of the Lord and he said, you shall not go up. Why did he go and inquire? You already have experience of a battle, right? You know, every battle is different. Even if the situation looks the same, the problem looks the same, the person looks the same, the battle is different because you need to hear from God. The same tactic may not work the second time because the devil is setting you up. So be very careful to inquire of the Lord every time, even though everything looks the same. So he said, don't go up, circle him. Don't go up. Circle. So we are learning. We are not learning how to fight physical battles. We are learning how to fight spiritual battles. Inquire of the Lord. So God says, it's not a, it's not a frontal attack. It shall be a ambush. So God will tell you. Why? Because our God is a man of war. The Bible says in Exodus 15, God is a God of man of war. He's fought all these battles. He knows what it is. Okay. So if God is a man of war, can his men and women, his sons and daughters, not be men and women of war? Like in one of our sessions on one of those days, I said, look at the songs. Song of Miriam. Be shocked. Miriam is singing a song, but if you look at the spirit of the song, she's a woman of war. Listen to the song of Deborah. Deborah, a mother arose mother. Listen to a song, she's a warrior in her prayer. Listen to the song of that Hannah who wept and cried. Boy, look at her prayer, she's a warrior. And Mary's song, listen to that song, she's a warrior. These women are not whims. They know how to fight it in their prayer life. They are warriors in the spiritual life. If God is a man of war, so are his sons and daughters. They cannot be any less. Go back today. Last time I gave you told about how many ancestors in your family on both sides. Only one answered and text me from USA. Did you get the answer till today? At least I'll give you a homework for all the ladies. Go back and look at the songs of these women in the Bible. And you will be shocked if you study carefully. Every one of them was a woman of war, spiritually. That's why those songs, they were speaking through the spirit and you suddenly hear their words, you know, God is a God of war, so are his daughters. 
and they won their battles for their nation or for their families and their children because they were warlike women. We need warlike women. So you look over there, God has not left David alone in the battlefield. He's there. He's there. God has not left Elijah or Elisha or any one of his servants alone. He does not. Let's look at verse 24 and 25. I think I didn't give it there. The battle. Yeah, the next two verses. Mulberry trees. Yeah. So it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. So you need to hear very carefully. Oh, I know the wind. But he says, I didn't say the wind. I said the wind at the top of the trees. Don't run when you hear the wind blowing through the bottom of the forest at the top. You need to know the difference. When the wind blows at the top, it's a breeze. It's a breeze. At the top, only the top moves. He says, watch carefully. Listen carefully. Listen to the instructions of the Lord you hear in your prayer closet. Obey carefully. That's where your victory. Then God will fight for you. And David did so. As the Lord commanded him, he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Jezreel. David is a man of war. Do you know how he became a man of war? Because he listened to his commanding officer. Very carefully. Number six, two thousand four. Now, yeah, number six, two thousand four. American soldiers' toughest battle was to take the city of Fallujah in Iraq, surrounded by the most hardcore of the terrorists. They had to go before the battle. The soldiers are all the Marines are all over there. The chaplain anoints them with oil. A Marine stands up and reads up the portion from the scripture about David going into battle. Do you know what was the battle cry in 2006, November, November, November 6, 2004, 3,000 years later when they went to battle in Iraq? Hooray, King David, and they went. 3,000 years later, those battles have not been forgotten because God fought those battles through David. The testimony of God doesn't go. This is God's history. Not man's history, how God has fought through men and women who were surrendered and heard his voice. So we need, we need, otherwise what will happen? We will waste our resources, we'll waste our time. I keep telling you, I heard this illustration many, many, many years ago. A preacher saying, look at your life as a big loaf of bread sliced. Every day you eat a slice. And every day, the loaf is getting smaller. You only have been given a certain amount of time to finish the task by God in your lifetime. You know what you need? You need to hear. If you hear, time is your friend. If you don't hear, time is your worst enemy. Worst enemy. If you hear, time is for you. If you don't hear, time is against you. Because we have that saying in English, time and tide waits for no one. Not for me, not for you, not for the king, not for the beggar. It stops for no one. The one who has learned spiritually to use time 
profitably are the ones who have learned to hear from God. So it's not an option, it's a necessity. Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came. It doesn't matter what your situation is. Absolutely closed. I can't go in, nobody's coming out. There is no negotiation at all. I think I want to tire out of this situation. My marriage is on the rocks. He's not speaking. I am not speaking. Nobody wants counseling. Nothing. It is over. But the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. That's the key. You don't look at your situation. You listen to what God says. If you look at the situation, immovable, unshakable, mountain-like fortress. God says, I have given it. Dear, dear. To you, not only the city, the mighty men of valor into your hands. This is going to be their first battle in the promised land. Verse 3 and 5. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. The priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Listen to the instructions very carefully. In your obedience to the voice of God lies your victory. You may think you have better plans. It will not defeat the spiritual enemy. The only one who can defeat the spiritual enemy is God. Listen carefully. Chapter 5, verse 15. The commander of the Lord's host army said to Joshua, So who is leading the battle? Who is Jesus? He's the commander of the armies of God. Jehovah Shavuot has come. And his first statement to the commander on earth, this first direction of first order to the, from the commander in heaven to the commander on earth is, take off your shoes. All your received understanding from the world, you know, is represented by your shoes. That's where you walked all over the world, corridors of the university, the library, coaching classes, everywhere you went, no? Just put it away. Listen to my voice. Put it away. Because my words are holy. You're standing on holy ground. Take away all those things. Don't bring your science and literature and all this into what I am trying to tell you. Put it away. Listen to my voice. Then you will be. That's what I said. We are too educated for God now. Because we give him counsel now. Lord, this is the way it should be. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. Like Jairus. Lord, my daughter is almost dying. Please come lay hands on her. He didn't lay hands. He said, just get up. Giving instructions to God. Lord, my servant is ill. Will you please come? Go. Your servant is healed. Who can counsel God? Okay. Chapter 7 in Joshua is a warning. Because they didn't hear. They did not hear. Please remember this. Sin, if it is not rooted out, will bring it defeat. That was a lesson of chapter 7. Second battle. Very small battle. Very small city. Very small compared to Jericho, Chota Sheher. Very small city. But they lost. You know why? 
But there was a problem in their camp, not the enemy's camp. God says, deal with sin very, very carefully. Root it out, because the devil knows the chinks in your armor. He knows. You cannot hide those things from him. He sees. So repent quit quickly, root it out, and cover your life back again, so that you can go back to winning ways. That is what it means. Akhan and his household, including children, everything that belonged to him was burned to fire and then stones were heaped. What does it mean? Everything that has been contaminated by your sin, destroy it. Destroy it. Don't keep it. Destroy it. Get rid of it. You have to be serious about these things. Serious about these things. Chapter 8, verse 1, back to winning ways. But Guidance is different. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. He always says, I have given. Before you have fought the first, before you have even taken your sword out, he says, I have given it to you. That is the assurance of God. Victory guaranteed. In all these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ. What are these all these things? You name it, he says. Your victorious. Famine, sword, persecution. You can name it. Even death, he says, you're victorious. Nobody can kill you. You're already resurrected. Nobody can kill you. Even if you die, you're alive. Even death is victory. I've given it to you. And you shall do it to I and its kings as you do Jericho only. So tactics have changed. You're not going around. You're going to ambush them. You're going to, you're going to pull them into a trap. You go hide all the people around. Then you talk with a small this thing and go to the front. When they come out to fight, run. And after you have drawn them so far away, tell the people at the back to come in and burn the city. You think God doesn't know military tactics? He says, I will teach you how to fight. Because sometimes you will not understand, Lord, why are you doing this? I am drawing your enemy out. Lord, number three election was over. Today is number 29. Lord, what is happening? I am exposing the church. Everybody thinks Biden has won. Suddenly all the spiritual leaders are showing their true colors. Those who had sold their people to mammon is showing. They're siding with him. Before the end comes, I will make a clean division in every industry in the world. You will know at the end who is for God and who is against God. There will be no middle ground. I'm drawing him out. You will know. That's why we have thrown away all the big names. It doesn't matter whether it is John Piper or Timothy Keller. We don't listen to them anymore because when the crux of the matter came, the crunch of the battle came, they showed their true colors. Because at the day of evil, if you are silent, you are complicit with evil. God says, I'm drawing them out. I haven't changed. You think the battle is lost? He said, no, I never lose a battle. I'm just exposing to the remnant church who to follow, who not to follow. Have no fellowship even with them. That's what the word of God says. God is a soldier. Joshua 9, 14 and 15. Then the men of Israel took some of the provisions, but they did not ask the counsel of God. So Joshua made peace. You see, you have to be very careful. They are trapped forever. Because they didn't ask God. 
It's important to hear. Everything looks normal. Outside they look poor. People walked so far away. Their food is molded. Don't, oh, yo, this one is coming for help. I need to help this one. Oh, look so sad. Bichare. So did you ask me? Do you know why you are trapped for so many years with this one? Who's put their hooks onto you? Because you didn't ask me. You didn't ask me. That was a setup from the devil. You didn't ask me. You looked, looked at outer appearances and you put your hand into it. Now you made a covenant. Oh, now you cannot back out. It's the God who speaks. There's no room for feelings here. Feelings and faith do not go the same way. Unless feelings serve your faith. They are trapped. Chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. And nine, Joshua ascended from Gilgal and he and all the people of war with him, all the mighty men of war. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand. This is five kings or four kings and all their armies. And what does verse nine say? Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly having marched all night from Gilgal. You have to hear very carefully. Mark 1, 35. Jesus now in the morning, having risen long while before daylight, he went and departed into a solitary place and there he prayed. This is his custom. This is his habit. The next verse. Next verse. That is Luke 6.12. Now it came to pass in those that he went out to the mountain to pray, continued all night. You have to listen. Even Jesus will change his spiritual habits listening to the Holy Spirit. He's used to sleeping and waking up early in the morning, but certain times he doesn't do that. He sleeps. He sits up through the night and pray because you have to catch the enemy by surprise. There are times when you march by day. There are times when you march all night and take the enemy by surprise. What is physical there is spiritual here. Listen. You want your spiritual victory? Listen when to pray, how to pray, how long to pray. Listen to Jehovah Shabbat. He is your commanding officer. Because the battle has to be won by him only if you listen to his instructions. Don't have a fixed format. Listen. Listen. Because sometimes when you come through the night, you have taken the enemy by surprise because the enemy has been watching your prayer habits and knows, oh, this guy, he only wakes up at three in the morning and prays. I can do set him up during the night and one day suddenly he realizes, so I had planned this big day, this fellow is not sleeping. And not only that, he is on a binge in prayer, he is binding, he is losing, he is calling fire from heaven. What is happening over here? You caught him by surprise. But the enemy, the devil already knew your enemy. But the battle is getting tougher and fiercer. Chapter 11, verse 4 to 6. So they went out, all their armies with them, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore in multitude with very many horses and chariot. This is the enemy. And when all these kings had met together, they came and camped together at the waters of Merom to fight against Israel. See, Joshua's battle is not getting easier. It's getting tougher and tougher as he moves forward into the land. The enemy's number is only increasing. You think spiritual growth is easy? No, the higher you go, the tougher it becomes. You, when you started, maybe you prayed only 30 minutes, but now you have to pray for hours. When you started, maybe you read only two chapters. Now you have to spend the whole day studying the word of God because revelation does not come in easy. 
You have to fight. You have to fight your flesh. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, the enemy. But God is there with you. And God is for you. You know what happens in verse 6? The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid because of them. For tomorrow about this time, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring the horses and burn their chariots with fire. So be careful. Don't imitate their ways. You don't need horses and chariots. I am your strength. I am your leader. I am your power. I am your strength. Hamstring the horses. Because after that, the horses cannot be used. Okay, it's their tendons being taken off. Hamstring them and burn their chariots. Otherwise, you leave the horses and the chariots. Another generation will arise and take the horses and chariots and try to fight like the world. Don't do it. All the tactics you learned in school and college about my financial principles for prosperity and this, throw it all away. I will tell you how to prosper. Listen to me. I can give you breakthroughs no man's university can give you. I will tell you. I'll tell you. Which, who's done an MBA from any university would give a solution to the widow whose husband is dead and the creditors have come to take her sons. Who can give her a breakthrough that she can live for the rest of her life on it? What do you have? Nothing, little oil. Okay, that's enough. Go, get all the empty vessels you can. Get in, shut the door, pour it. Go. Creditors gone, live on the rest. Lord, people have come for a tax. Mm, do king's sons pay taxes? They live off it, right? No, but let's let's keep the law. Okay, you go to Peter, you come here, you, you're good at fishing, right? But with nets, take a line this time. Go there, pick up this thing. In the first fish, there is a coin. Pay yours, pay mine. Go. Do you know God has changed? Hasn't changed? He hasn't changed. And it should be paid through a nose for an MBA degree. Any solution you think about in the life, you look into the word of God, People have gone to God with the same situation and found their breakthrough because they heard from God. This is how you maximize your time and your resources. But I'm hearing from God. If I hadn't heard from God 13 years ago, start a church, don't worry. From the first day, record your messages on a little mp3, make a website, post it. We wouldn't have reached almost the entire world. We wouldn't have reached but look so stupid and so foolish then looking at all these people, these children from Jesus, all Chudukus over there. There is nobody in the church. What does it make sense? It didn't make any sense. You obeyed. Then it makes sense. Makes sense. It's a God who speaks. What did he say? Go back. Do what I, verses 7 to 9 also. Can I have it? I think we're running out of time. Hmm. Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Yeah. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom. They attacked them. The Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel who defeated them, chased them to greater Sidon, to broke this thing, okay, everything. And Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. Unlike Saul, also given very clear instruction, did half. And God took the kingdom away from him. Took the kingdom. It's not this that you hear. Better obey. Chapter 11, 18 and 19. 
Joshua made war a long time with all those kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others took in battle. What is God saying here? New covenant. Don't make peace with the enemy. In this fight with the enemy, with unrighteousness, never make peace. Hebrews 12 verse 4, if I'm right. 4 or 5. Don't make peace. Status quo is unacceptable in this battle. What is that? You have not yet, yeah, four. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Don't give up. Don't make peace. Don't make peace. Don't make peace. You make peace at your own peril. So like Elisha, we need to see. So pray, Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Open the eyes of my heart. Let me tell you, children, wisdom is not enough. Wisdom is not enough. Let me ask you, children. Let me ask. Don't stare at me because I'll ask you. How many books are there in the Bible? How many? Okay, 66 books. It's all the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Right? Take Daniel and Revelation out. What do you know? Of the future. What do you know? Nothing. Two revelatory books. You take that book out, you don't know how to face the future. You know how to live in the present. You don't know at all how to face the future. Two books. Daniel, Revelation. Both had revelation from God about what is coming. Wisdom is good. House is built by wisdom. What about revelation? Revelation is the edge you have in the battle because you know what is coming and you're prepared for it. Otherwise, what will happen? When the enemy suddenly comes, you will be Elisha's servant. Alas, Lord, what do we do? So don't let the revelation go. The revelation comes from the Holy Spirit. Bank on him. Nudge him. Coerce him. Give him no rest. Lord, open my eyes. I'll tell you. Judges 16, 20 and 21. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know. He did not know. The Lord had departed. The next words. The Philistines took him and put out his eyes. The Philistines took him and put out his. Do you know something? His hair grew back. But his vision never came back. When your vision doesn't come back and you have a strength, all you will is become depressed, discouraged and suicidal because you lost your vision. His strength came back and his prayer is, Lord, one more time, let me die with my enemies. But if your vision is not lost, you will finish your race. His hair came back. His hair came back. His consecration came back. Now he's running after righteousness. Consecration came back. The vision is gone. Don't lose your vision. Isaac has lost his vision. He didn't lose his consecration. Noah lost his vision. He didn't lose his consecration. Abraham lost his vision. 
he didn't lose his consecration. None of what they did was per se sin. Planting a vineyard and drinking wine after a wife is dead, marrying another or eat like, liking meat. None of this is per se wrong. Your consecration is still there. But you lost your vision. So everything that you did because of that brought harm to future generation. A harm and a canon will be cursed because you lost your vision. You will create all these sons who will become the enemies of Isaac in a day to come. And Isaac will bless the wrong one. And life will just go into nothing. This wife is not even mentioned. It's not even mentioned that Rebecca is buried. It's not because you lost your consecration. It's because you lost your vision. So guard your vision. And ask Lord, increase my vision. You're all consecrated. Maybe. Don't lose your vision. Don't lose your vision. Don't lose your vision. To all those who are listening online, you'll be hearing through the night from all the way from Alaska to Australia, everywhere they're listening. I'm telling them, don't lose your vision. Lose your vision. Where there is no vision, people fall away. Because they have no more impetus to move on. Even if you have done great exploits in your life like Samson, all you want to do is, let me die. Don't lose your vision. So let's pray. Let us stand up. <clears throat> Ugly. But we will continue. Okay, we'll continue. It's not over. It's not over till Jesus comes. I will preach till the last day of my life or till Jesus comes. It is not going to finish. Still studying, still a student. Not a teacher. Teacher to you, student to him. <clears throat> Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Here in this room and around the world before there, Gadgets, TVs, wherever they are watching, are so many different generations sitting. Babies, little ones, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, everybody is there. Nobody should lose their vision. Nobody should lose their vision. And everybody should have a vision from above. The little one should be able to hear like Samuel. The youth should be able to hear like Jeremiah. The old one should be able to hear like Moses. And the great one, Abraham, should be able to hear from God and not stagger with unbelief at hundred. Everybody in the Bible heard, Lord, and their lives were changed. Everybody. Touch our ears today. Touch our eyes today, Lord, that we may hear and see better and better. So that it's written about John the Apostle would be true about us also. One day I heard the voice of the Lord behind my ear. It was loud like a trumpet. Elijah heard the whisper. John heard the trumpet. It was the voice of the same God. The whisper asked the question, what are you doing here? Go back the way you came. The trumpet said, what you see and hear, write and send it to the churches. The message was different. One was a voice of correction for a suicidal prophet. The other was a revelation and a warning to people for all time. Same God. Same God. 
same spirit. And I pray, Father, today, we will not take it lightly. That we too, like David, will have a stronghold in our lives, our situation room. Where we enter, we stay until we hear. And when we come out, we know what to do. Because you have spoken. And you are in the battle with us. Touch, Lord. Change the lives of your children. They have heard much. The prayer closets are empty. Their knees are not calloused. Their throats are not hoarse from crying out to you. For you said, my elect who cry out to me day and night, will I not come speedily and avenge their cry? But when the Son of Man comes, will you find faith? When he comes, will you find your prayer closet empty because you gave up? There are prayers you can never give up. There are battles you can never give up. Like Nehemiah, we are standing in the battlefield with the sword in one hand and a brick in another, building and fighting. Building our lives, building our homes, building our churches, and fighting the powers of darkness who wants to stop this work. That was the word you gave us on 31st night. Rise up and build. We cannot build without praying and without hearing. Spirit of the living God, touch the ones who are prepared, O Lord. Let there be no empty vessel in your house today. Let everything that clocks the ears and their eyes fall. Even Apostle Paul had scales on his eyes. But when Ananias put his hands on his head, the scales fell off. And he heard and he saw. Raise the church to another level, Lord. Twelve years are up. Let it be a spirit-filled church, Lord. Not just in name, but in reality. Filled to the brim. Let rivers of living water flow from every belly, Lord. Irrespective of how they're small or old they are. They are called that the rivers may flow. And wherever the river flows, Lord, let there be life. Let there be life. Let there be life. Even those who are listening online, Lord. In so many of the places, there's not a single person left in their churches who have not been filled with the Holy Spirit when we prayed from here, Lord. But now I'm praying for my church here, O Lord. Let everyone that is thirsty, let them be filled, Lord. Let them be filled. Because you said, do not leave Jerusalem until you have received power from above. For the Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. This is not a battle. That we can fight without power. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. Oh, we need power. More power, Lord. More power. More power. More power to break the stranghold of the enemy over our loved ones, over our children, over our parents, over our homes. Because our homes belong to God. They are sacred places. They are sacred places where the Holy One of Israel lives, abides, and is comfortable. 
will not allow the enemy to take over our lives and our children and the generation to come. All our children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. I speak over our children here. The little ones, including the baby in the womb, to every little one and older one, all our children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be their peace. All of them. All of them. You said your young men, your young women, and your old men, and your old women, all shall dream and see visions. The vision is not kept away from anyone. That's your word. My spirit shall fall upon all flesh. That's your word. We stand on your word. I stand on your word. And I pray, Lord, everyone standing here today in your house will experience God face to face. They will have an experience with God. And after that, they will never turn back. Even if they fall seven times, they will rise up and continue their walk with God. Because the God who promised is faithful. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You love your people. You love your children. Let no one limit the Holy One of Israel by their unbelief. Let faith arise. Let them grab hold of every promise of God. Let it be told as about Joshua. Not a single promise of God came to fail in that generation. God fulfilled his word in that generation. And I pray a generation will rise who will stand up one day and say, Every word that God spoke to me came to pass in my life. Not one did it fall to the ground. Oh, Father, we just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you. We just glorify you, Lord. Now by faith, expressing that we believe what you have said, we lift up holy hands and we bless your name. We bless your name. We bless your name. And we declare with our lips, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever and ever, O oh Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Go with us, go before us through this day, through this week, through this new month, Lord. The twelfth month is here. The government is upon your shoulder. And the increase of your government, there is no end. Let it be true about us, Lord. About us. Your government has no end in our lives. Absolute, constant surrender to your will and to your ways, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be our portion all the days of our life. Amen, amen, amen.